Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fundamentals. We are continuing to walk through uh, this resource that just talks about the fundamentals of the Christian faith, and we are approaching kind of the halfway point, so super exciting. Uh, If you've been following along this entire journey, we want to say thank you, and if this is your first episode, we want to say welcome, and I hope that this has been fruitful for you. We hope this has been fruitful for you. as you've just kind of really developed a solid foundation of what it looks like to be a Christian and what the Bible says about some of these really important topics and things that affect us in our spiritual life. And so today we're going to be continuing that conversation uh, with sin. Uh, So if you didn't listen last week or you just have already forgotten, we opened up a new chapter titled What is Sin? and really are starting to unravel what sin is and in this kind of in in that first session we really just defined the sin problem we we talked about uh that there it's it doesn't take us long to look around fundamental issue in our world and it plays out in numerous ways around us and even in us and one of the examples we used was chris davis he uh dh and first baseman for the baltimore orioles uh, set the MLB record for most plate appearances without a hit. And obviously that meant there was a fundamental issue with his swing. And those results kind of showed the underlying issue that was going on uh, with him as an athlete. And so uh, we really just tried to define the sin problem. We looked at a couple different ways that the Bible defines sin, that the Bible talks about where sin began, who sins, what sin looks like. And so today, here in session two, we want to kind of shift our conversation a little bit to just talk about how does sin relate to us. If this is what sin is, if we can see that there is a fundamental issue in in our world around us, and even in ourselves at times, how does sin really relate to us? How does it affect us? Not necessarily the consequences of sin. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, But how does sin relate to us? And so we'll talk about three parts. There's three things I want you to tune your ears to as we kind of walk along this session together. And these three things are, one, that sin is a part of us, that it is is lying beneath the surface, and it is not just a behavior issue. It's more of an identity issue. So that's the first thing. Sin is a part of us. Two, that sin suppresses the truth around us. Sin actually suppresses the truth around us, and it's really from the wickedness of our sin that this truth is suppressed. And then lastly, that sin deceives the desires within us. We Sin causes our desires to be exchanged, an exchange of desires, a desire for good and for the goodness of God, for the things that were created in the things of this world. And so those are kind of the three things that we're really going to be looking at. Uh, here in our time together, and we'll really kind of be walking through the book of Romans, so I would encourage you to go ahead and turn there if you're following along. Uh, We'll be in Romans 7 and uh, Romans 1 for part of our time together. Um, So, uh, let's dive right in. Um, So, like we've said, you know, we see people in our world all around us having issues, and if we tried to relate this to you know, the game of baseball. There, there's people all around us in spiritual slumps having issues with their swing, not playing well, 
And it's not just necessarily, you know, this bad streak, but it's this continual cycle that maybe even you today feel like you're stuck in, that you're in this continuous cycle of being in a spiritual slump. And so I want you to think, we kind of talked a little bit about this week, uh, this this last week, but if you want to fix this problem, you know, what are what are some steps that you would take? If this were you on the baseball field, what would be some steps that you would take? Um, and one of those that came to my mind was video. Like video was kind of starting to be utilized as my career was coming to an end uh, for, for swings. And it is such a huge part of just getting to slow things down, take a look under the hood and see what is really going on. And one of the best benefits that video has, because obviously if you're hitting and you're swinging, you you have no idea what your swing looks like. You have no idea what your body's looking like as you're making contact, as you're loading up for the ball, uh, what your follow through looks like. But what, what video really does is it, gets us to the point where we see it for ourselves, where we see it for ourselves. And that's really what we need to do today in our lesson, talking about, you know, how sin relates to us. We've got to get to the point where we see this within us. Like, you can't just take my word for it, your pastor's word for it, that, you know, we are we are sinful people and that sin really does affect us. You've got to be able to see that for yourself. And so that's the, our ultimate goal today with the three objectives that we have is that we would just be able to slow things down and really pull this apart, take a look under our spiritual hood and understand that sin truly does relate and affect us. So the first first kind of passage that we'll look at is Romans 7, 8. Um, and I think this really, you know, shows us that that sin really, you know, lies within us. Um, It says, But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Uh, And it goes on to say, For apart from the law, sin was dead, and once I was alive. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. So I I want you to think about this question. When does a behavior become part of our identity? When does a behavior become part of our identity. It's like if I if I stole twenty dollars out of my mom's purse, does that necessarily make me a thief? Or is it that continual repetitiveness of stealing twenty dollars out of my mom's purse, stealing some money out of my dad's wallet, to the point where I continue, you know, trying to steal from people as an adult and throughout my entire life, is that when it becomes an identity? Like when does when does our behavior truly become an identity issue? And I think a lot of that is the consistency of our behavior, right? Like I'm not a weightlifter by just going to work out at the gym one time. I become a weightlifter when I've committed day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year to putting my body through its toll of weightlifting and being as fit and as strong as possible. And for us, like if we think about this, our, our issue of sin has become more than just a behavioral issue. It's, it's more of an identity issue. It's something that dwells within us, that is self-destructing us. And this is kind of what Paul is pointing to here in Romans 7. He says, Sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me the desire to covet. And I think a good example of this is just thinking back when, t- to when you were a kid. 
anytime your parents tell you not to do something, you know, don't touch the hot stove. Uh, this is just a personal example. Don't touch the hot stove, you know, as a, as a small child. Well, suddenly, without anybody having to tell me or, or show me or anything like that, all of a sudden, because my parents told me not to do it, my desire to do it was sprung to life. By my, by my mom telling me, don't touch that hot stove because it's going to burn your hand, all of a sudden, more than anything, I wanted to touch that hot stove. And obviously, it, it's not for a good reason. Like, it, it's not smart for me to go, and I quickly found that out. It wasn't smart for me to go touch the hot stove. But that that beneath the surface, just identity issue of being defiant and being bent away towards authority, and even if we think about this spiritually, being bent away from God, that by God's commandment to not do or to do, that sin springs to life and all of a sudden produces in us the desire to do opposite of what God is telling us to do. It's exactly what Paul's talking about from Romans 7. Apart from the law, sin was dead, right? Like, and until God really commanded and showed us what true life was in him, we couldn't really identify and see those sinful parts of our life. But once we became aware and conscious uh, to the commandments of God and the way that God is and his character, sin springs to life, and we, we become dead in our sin because of because of our defiance and bentness away from God, what we inherited all the way back from Adam. And so our sin is so much of a behavior, or excuse me, an identity issue. It is, it is deeply rooted in our heart where we desire the things opposite from God. And our sin in us, that is just part of being a human, springs to life. And it grows and it multiplies uh, and it can infiltrate so many areas of our life. Um, but those are really sprung to life through, through knowing, uh, the goodness of God that our sin just wants to pull us away, uh, from that truth. Um, so, uh, now kind of talking about, you know, you can kind of unpack covetedness, uh, a little bit, um, and it kind of refers you there to Exodus twenty seventeen where it talks about covetedness, but, uh, this, you know, this point is it's it's kind of confusing on the surface that you know God's commandments spring spring to life sin within us, but ultimately it's this you know it's this innate desire to sin. It's this innate desire to do the opposite of what God tells us to do. And Romans five twelve, uh, still there in Romans. Romans five twelve talks about how sin and death came through one man Adam, so that all men would die and, and be in sin, just as in one man and Jesus, you know, uh, life came to all. So that, that same concept of, uh, through one man, all kind of reap the consequences or the benefits of, and and in Adam's case, we all reap the consequences of, of sin and death. But just, just think about for a little while, this concept, just think about that one small weed in your yard. Like think about, and this kind of relates to just sin being part of our identity. Think about that, that weed in your yard. If you if you left that weed alone, right, and you just left it in your yard, you're like, ah, that, that weed will go away. Like, we don't need to address it. It'll be just fine. What happens? Does the weed ever leave the rest of your yard alone? Like, does it just stay in its little corner away from the rest of the green, healthy grass? Like, no, weeds always spread through the entire yard. 
Like they always infiltrate the entire yard, especially if the conditions are right and, and the soil's right and the temperature and the weather. But the longer that we leave those weeds there, the more, the more fast they're going to grow. Like they're going to, they're going to spread throughout the entire yard. And sin has the same, same effect within us, uh, just being a part of who we are. Like it has this spreading, infiltrating effect uh, in our hearts that we've, we've got to be aware of. And so sin is more than just a behavior for us. It's not just this season of behavior that you might find yourself in. It's this deeply rooted heart issue that goes all the way back to Adam. And so secondly, so that's one, uh, sin is really just a part of us. And then two, sin suppresses the truth. Sin suppresses the truth. So this is where we'll go to Romans 1, 18 through 20. Uh, and I will read that really quickly. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because he made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what was made so that the people are without excuse. And so there's two things that really define mankind here in Romans, two two words that stick out, and it's godlessness and wickedness. Godlessness and wickedness. It says there in, in Romans one uh, eighteen, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people godlessness and wickedness of people and if you go on to read it it says who suppress the truth by their wickedness right like the wick our wickedness is that that vessel that avenue of truth suppression in our life first john 5 7 says all wickedness is sin so we can we can link our wickedness to our sin those are those are synonymous both of those are the same thing, and what this is what, what this is really saying is our sin suppresses the truth. It's not that the truth is hidden. It's not that you know what the things about God can't be clearly seen through His Word and, and through creation, but that our sin suppresses the truth. Our sin suppresses the truth and hides the truth uh, within us. I remember back in middle school, they always, uh, whenever they talk about drinking and driving, you know, they give you those those goggles you put on and try to give you a task to do, to do whether that's uh, see something correctly or navigate some obstacle course. And it's always impossible because your your vision is completely suppressed through those, those goggles. It's skewed, it's twisted, and, man, that is so much about how sin affects our ability to rightly see truth. It is, it is completely blurred and twisted, um, and, and prevents us from seeing things rightly, seeing things as they really are. And the knowledge and truth about God, even though it is plain to us, is is suppressed by our sin. Um, and it's going to do everything it can to, to twist it and help us ignore, try to get us to ignore the truth. And even if we're really in the depths of sin, to, to despise the truth, where we, we don't want to know and embrace and live out true life because it's it's so contrary to what we are and, and what we are doing. And so that's kind of the second thing. Sin truly suppresses the truth. Sin suppresses the truth. Uh, 
And then lastly, just to kind of start wrapping up our time together, and this is a, a more lengthy one, uh, just because I think it, it applies to so much in just our everyday life, especially here in, in modern-day America, if you're listening. Um, but really that, you know, sin deceives the desires within us. Here's our last point. Sin deceives the desires within us. And Romans 1, 21 through 25 is kind of that key text. And it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They Listen to this. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. So there's there's a key word that I think we've got to really pay attention to that's uh, really only explicitly there in verse 25, I believe, but or yeah, it's in verse 23 as well. Um, but it's that word exchange. Exchange, because that is... That is the method of deception, I feel like, that, that sin takes in our life. It's this this method of exchange. And so there's a couple different ways that exchange is described in this passage that really highlights this truth. And so one of those is we exchange the glory of God for images made to look like the, the things that were created. We, we exchange worship and praise and glory of the creator for worship and praise and glory of the created things and it doesn't i mean that's that's not that just doesn't even make sense why would we exchange the glory of the creator for the glory of the created things right like that and that is something that that happens in in our in our modern life um in our everyday life you know i think about pieces of art you know that is something that an artist made, but people often remember the piece of art or the painting over the artist when really it was by the glory of, you know, God gifting these people with the ability to create art that, that we should really be marveling and paying attention to the gifts that God has given this particular artist over the work that they created. So we, you know, we exchange the glory of God for things made to look like God or, or the, things that were created, whether that be uh, resources or experiences um, or just man, you know, I think about cars and shoes and clothes, just all these things that are just products of God being God, uh, we place on a higher pedestal than God himself. Uh, another, another thing, you know, we exchange the truth about God for a lie there in verse 25. And I think this is a really blanketed statement, but you can think all the way back to the garden. Uh, the serpent tries to deceive Eve by twisting God's words to believe uh, a lie. He says, you will surely not die, the serpent says to Eve, uh, if you take from the fruit of the tree the knowledge of good and evil. And that's a lie. Like we exchange the truth, what we know about God, what we believe about God for a lie. And then lastly, we see that we worship and serve created things rather than creator. Like that comes kind of back to our first point. Paul's just kind of emphasizing 
that point of we are we are worshiping and serving and placing on a higher pedestal the created things rather than the creator. And there's some serious consequences that happen because of this. God gives them over to their desires. Their hearts were darkened. They settled for the created things, right? Like all of these images that we are we are fixated on. And I think that for for us, our our generation, our culture, more than more than any time, I, I think in history, as far as I can tell, it, you know, we are most devoted to images, right? Like our identity, our identities are saturated with images, with trying to be something that our culture believes to be worth pursuing over the image God gave us. Um, and sin does a great job at this, at deceiving us that we have to be fit into this image, this mold that the world has created in order to be liked and loved and accepted and successful. But really, like we, we, and we exchange that image that God gave us and God intended us for, for these. Uh, but sin does such a great job at distracting us from this. And we are, we are readily exchanging things of much lower value and, and, and things that are not worth, uh, our time, not worth our passions, not worth our love, not worth our attention, that are totally and completely different from God. Timothy Keller says it this way. He says, So according to the Bible, the primary way to define sin is not just the doing of bad things, but the making of good things into ultimate things. I think that's such a good word. Make it the making of good things into ultimate things. Our job, our families, you know, our resources, our experiences – even the things that God has created, none of these things are bad things, but when we make them into ultimate things, they become in places that they shouldn't be, right? Like that, that is the way that we define sin, this exchange, this delusion, this deceit of our desires that Satan tries to so easily play with the shiny, you know, attractive things around us where we put good things into ultimate things. I love C.S. Lewis's quote. I might have read this on a previous episode if you've been listening for quite a while. Um, but I just want you to think about how this applies to your life. You know, this last question is, do you have sin in your life that you need to confess? Like, is the devil having success in any of these three aspects of how sin relates to you? Is he is he making you constantly see your, identif- your identity as a sinner? Like, is, or is he... Is he distracting you to make you think, oh, this, you know, this, this season of life that I'm going through, like, this is just a season of where I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sinning more often or I have this more prevalent behavior of sin and just trying to neutralize you and and make you complacent where you're at with, with just the sinful habits that you have, that you're not really accepting that this is a part of who you are that needs a, a, a cure that only Jesus can do, that only a restoring and redeeming relationship with Jesus can fix? Or are you just completely suppressed about the truth? Are you are you looking to the wrong avenues and the wrong people and the wrong sources for truth? Are you blinded to what truth really is? Do you know the truth of the Bible? Is that something that you've ever considered have have you ever looked at your life in light of the truth of the bible do you feel like it's still relevant are you just trying to pick and choose what sounds good are you truly living in a humble submission to the truth of god's word and then lastly you know this specific point are you are your desires being deceived are you desiring created things and the things of this world 
over the things of God. Uh, just think about how those things relate to your life. And if, if there are any of these aspects or which of these aspects that Satan is having the most success. Uh, but I want to leave you with this, this C.S. Lewis quote that I think really wraps up kind of the point we're getting to talking about, you know, our desires in terms of sin and, and wanting to have a right relationship with the Lord. And he says it this way. C.S. Lewis says, uh, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures fooling about with drink and ambition and sex. When infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to keep on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Don't let yourself settle for the temporary pleasures or the temporary happiness of this world, but set your sights and set your heart on things that are worth infinite value to the one who is infinitely valuable in who Jesus is because there's a there's a thousand ways to find happiness in this world to find success in this world to find meaning if you if you're looking for it in this world but there is only one way one true way to eternal life and to true life and that is rooted in a relationship with Jesus so i hope this has been helpful for you i pray the lord uses this to open your eyes and to reveal some sin in your life. I know this is a difficult, you know, series of of sessions to walk through, just really addressing our own sin. But I pray that the Lord uh, would use it to do a redeeming work in you. So praying for you and your groups as you continue your study, and we look forward to talking again next week.